We're going to be going through a new series today, and the series is titled Christian, where we're going to be exploring the kind of central beliefs to the Christian faith. Uh, And you are invited to follow along this term as we explore the foundations that have changed the world and still do today. Now, you may or may not have heard of the term Christian apologetics. Uh, before, but this is this is not referring to apologizing for our faith, which is what I thought it used to mean when I was younger. Um, that's not what apologetics means. Apologetics refers to systematic argumentative discourse. Now, in a way that we can all understand what it's actually saying, because it, it comes from the Greek word apologia. What it's actually saying is an answer given in reply. So it's talking about the answers that we give when we're talking about our faith. When someone asks us about our faith, what are our answers? How do we respond? That's what apologetics is looking at. And with so many people deconstructing their faith in this season that we're in, in this time of life, uh, perhaps there are more questions than ever before. I know it feels like that for me. That's not a bad thing, asking questions. It's a good thing. It's a healthy thing to ask questions. Let's go on this journey together where we're going to be asking all sorts of questions uh, around maybe heaven and hell, around how can can we trust the Bible? Uh, Do we need a savior? Do we actually need Jesus? The next week, Judy is going to be exploring the question around sin. Why is sin a problem? Is it a problem? And we're going to be looking all into that. Two weeks ago, I started my second year of post-grad part-time theology studies, which is brilliant. But let me tell you, I have more questions now than when I started. Um, And like I said, it's healthy to ask questions and to go deeper. And so we're going to be looking forward to chewing on these and wrestling with these kind of complex aspects of faith and life together. Now, if you're new to faith in Jesus, or you're not so sure, actually, uh, and you still have lots of questions and lots of exploring that you want to do, then hopefully this will be helpful for you as well. And if you call yourself a Christian, or you feel like you've been a follower of Jesus for many, many years, then uh, we're hoping that this time will be helpful for you in terms of when you get asked questions about your faith. Just a chance to kind of refine what your answers will be, because all of us will have experiences where people ask us about our faith, especially if we pray for that. God is very, very good at answering those prayers, whether it's with neighbors or coworkers. Um, I got my hair cut this week, and the hairdresser found out that I was a Christian, and he asked me some brilliant questions uh, about, about my faith in comparison to his Muslim faith, uh, questions that I had literally never thought about before. And that was really, really helpful for me to think about those questions. So hopefully this will be a useful time for all of us to go through various questions. Now, not only will we be able to mull over some of these questions during our Sunday gatherings, but we would love to encourage everyone in your groups, whether that's life groups or community groups, to also be going deeper in questions. That is a space where you can ask some of the tricky questions. And I know we all have them. We all have these questions. Alongside the discussion questions that are available each week on the blog on our website, we're also making the Alpha Course film series available through the website uh, in case anyone wants to go deeper in watching that or you want to watch that in your group and kind of hear from a variety of theologians or other Christians as well and hear their different viewpoints. Sometimes that's really helpful as well. May I suggest also something helpful? Um, If someone does ask you a question that you don't know the answer to, uh, don't make it up. Just say that you don't know. I often do that. I say, I don't know, and I'm going to go and find out and then get back to you. That's much more helpful than just trying to make stuff up because there's no need to do that. Um, We all have ways that we can go and find out information and then go back to that. But into the series today, into the topic today, we're going to crack on with our first question, which is, is there a God? Which is a great question. Is there a God? It's a big, big question. 
which I'm sure many of us have thought about before. And before I unpack some of the points today, we're going to hear from two members of our church family, Carrie and Locke, about some of their journey in knowing God. I'm Locke, I'm Carrie, my wife. Um, we, we have been in Birmingham for a year. In 2018, I was diagnosed uh, stage 4 lymphoma um, and that was one week before we were, we were getting married um, there were tumors all over my body I was quite hopeless at first but I thought I would just leave everything to God as that was the time that I really had to let God um, take 100% control of my life and to let him decide if he wanted me to use this experience to probably help, help people and bring more people to him. So after going through some pretty tough but surprisingly peaceful therapies for four and a half months, I did another PET CT scan and I was very happy to tell my family and friends that I had been healed. Friends and families are really um, important support for me when I was worried and don't know what to do because I think um, at the time, uh, like his parents and my parents also asked me to consider like if we need to carry on with the wedding, like shall we postpone it and wait till he got recovered? And then, but um, when we take this decision, all of them support us, like no matter what we do. So I think sometimes we may not find the exact support from God. Like uh, we may feel quite helpless even we read the Bible verse because I was just crying. But then he sent people to help us. To our surprise, I don't know why, but the doctor that, uh, how do you say, Ju Chang Yi san. So he's a doctor who's assigned to, to Yeah, for yeah. his case, is Christian. And then he also consulted a, a senior um, for his case, who is also a Christian. And then they also um, sometimes remind him to read Bible during his hospital stay. And they ask him about questions of life and afterlife and heaven and then um, recommend him to go to the uh, patients group like patients Christian small groups and then also remind us to give the glory to God every time when we go back to the follow-up and we know like uh, having good blood test result then we can carry on the treatment and then the doctor always say okay glory to God but after this um, illness, I found that uh, God has been really important for me um, <clears throat> because He's just in control of everything um, of my life. I think His illness made me reflect on how many more years will I live as well. 
So I think my life is relative, relatively smooth since like, throughout my childhood when I grew up. And then, and then not until he got diagnosed with cancer and I feel like it was, it, it can be quite tough. And I also pray like, I hope God can heal him. And then, and then I will serve him more if he's healed. But I actually was not so sure about this prayer because I also don't want to disturb God's plan. Like I know like good Christians also die from cancer. So I was thinking like no matter what the result is, I really need to serve him and bring more people to Christ because I think the faith and countless from this like um, Jesus and God is is what support me like if I don't know about God then it will took me time to find him when I have this tough time so I think I'm the lucky one who know God before the tough time comes and I really want others to have this luxury as well and then we hope that experience can not let other know like we are human and we are weak, but we are strong because we know God. And the miracle is not by the done by the doctors or done by us, but like it's by God. Because even only one percent of chance that he can be healed, but if God allows it, then we can be that one percent. Yeah. Wow, an incredible story uh, of faith and trust in God through a really, really tricky time for Karen Locke. Thank you, Karen Locke, for sharing so openly and honestly. And recognizing God as sovereign over kind of every situation in their life. What about where you're at today? Maybe when I mentioned God, you might have been influenced by a lot of art and, and imagery that we see maybe in the media, and, and you kind of see this old, maybe white man with like a big beard uh, on some cloud reaching down in either love or maybe in judgment. Maybe that's what you're seeing. In a recent survey, over 40% of people in the UK say that they don't believe in God. What do we make of that? You might be saying exactly what you believe in your head right now. No, there is no God. Or yes, there is a God. That's the short of it, right? Yes or no. But for me personally, I believe that there is a God and that it changes everything about my life. And I'm going to unpack that more. But first, we're going to turn to the Bible. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, we're going to turn to Luke 1, 46 to 55. It's Mary's song. And the words say this. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are most proud in their inmost thoughts. 
He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Now, this is a passage of a young woman speaking about her faith in God. Despite having just been visited by an angel and told that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, (laughs) that's wild, she still puts her trust in God and praises him and declares these beautiful words of God's goodness and faithfulness. And in many ways, her life was about to be, or had been, flipped completely on its head, and yet she still gives God the glory. Now, in the same way, in what we just heard from Locke and Carrie, they spoke about one of the toughest times that they might possibly face in their entire life. And they continued to trust in God and his plan. And they continued to serve him and give all glory to him. And as Carrie said, she was thankful that she knew God in those times uh, who would sustain her through that period. How did they know that God was real, though? Was it because God was all they had? The late singer-songwriter David Bowie was reported to have turned to faith in God during his dying days after an 18-month battle with cancer. And his wife posted these words on the day that he died. It says this, The struggle is real, but so is God. How did they know there was a God? Mary, the mother of Jesus, how did she know that God was real? She was just a teenage girl. She wasn't a scientist. She wasn't a theologian. She wasn't a deep thinker. And yet she could speak so boldly of this God that she believed in. Well, today, I'm not here to argue with anyone, and I'm not even going to try and persuade you of anything. There are already some really powerful arguments out there. Um, Here are some examples of them that you can look into if you want to have some real good arguments for the existence of God. And actually, there are some really good books that I can recommend as well. These are some of them if you want to check those out. Um, Do do press into this further and, and do some reading as well. But what I do want to talk about today is this wonderful Father God that I know And I want to introduce him to you if you don't know him. But I'm going to do that through three points. The first point in the way that I believe we can encounter God is through creation. The very opening of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Created. Creator, God. I really love this quote from the comedian Frank Skinner. These are his words. I have friends who are atheists. There's this mate of mine, he says, it's such rubbish. Come back to my flat and I'll make a cup of tea and we'll talk the whole thing through. So I go back with him and he puts the kettle on. Thing is, Frank, the universe, it just happened. A big bang, an accident, no one made it happen. There's no great designer, no thought went into it or planning. It just happened. Do you get it? Anyway, that cup of tea won't make itself. I said, why not? When was the last time that we really paused to notice the world around us? Was all of this actually just an accident? Or did someone carefully and intentionally create every bit of it? Did you know that the earth is located the exact correct distance from the sun? And if the earth were any further away from the sun, we would all freeze. If it were any closer, we would all burn up. Even a fractional variance in the earth's position to the sun would make life on earth completely impossible. 
This is just one of the many scientific facts which acknowledge the precision of everything created in the earth. Romans 1, 20, it says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. And there's other passages as well. I'm not going to read them, but you can check them out in Isaiah and Job. talks about God creating the earth, spreading the heavens, giving breath and putting life into it, and how the creatures and, and plants all testify to that. And I, I think that we all probably have had moments where we've looked at a sunrise or a sunset, or we've just looked at this, these mountains or, or a waterfall, and it takes our breath away. This sense of awe, this, wow. The world around us is awesome. It's beautiful. It's breathtaking. And speaking of breath, the name of God in the Old Testament is often written as uh, YHWH, or that in Hebrew block script. Uh, there was never actually, we pronounce that now as Yahweh, but there was never actually any vowels put onto it in the Hebrew. And so when one would try to pronounce it, if you did try and pronounce it, it's just aspirations. Yahweh. Right? No vowels in there. It's just breath. Now, conveniently, breath and breathing translates across all cultures and has no language barriers. We're doing it now. We're all breathing. And you can say that the name of God is accessible in every human tongue. And what does breath mean? Life, right? Humans breathe. Animals breathe. Even vegetation and plants have this exchange of carbon dioxide and oxygen, right? Life, breath is life, and breath comes from God. In the book of Job, it says these words, If God were to take back his spirit and withdraw his breath, all life would cease, and humanity would turn again to dust. God gives breath. So when we mention our vision statement, which is these words, bringing life to every generation of every community, that's what we want to be doing as a church. What we're really saying is bringing God into every generation of every community. God gives life. God gives breath. And Jesus says himself that I have come that they may have life and have it to the full in John 10.10, 10, which swiftly brings us on to my next point, which is I believe we can encounter God through Jesus a historical figure that we can read about in the Bible. Colossians 1.15 says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. So when we're trying to understand a little bit more about who God is, we can look to Jesus. Now, first of all, it's really important to note that God is one God, one essence, but with three persons, okay? And we call that the Trinity. That's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We sing about it. We've already sung about it today. But they are also known by a variety of different names. So we have kind of maybe creator, redeemer, sustainer, and et cetera, et cetera. Now, this doesn't mean that we believe in three different gods. No, there is one God. Father, Son, and Spirit are all one. And this doesn't mean that God is one person with different roles. That's also a misunderstanding. For thousands of years, humans have tried to get their little brains around this whole concept and many other concepts as well. But that we, it comes to a point where we have to kind of conclude that there are certain things that we cannot fully grasp and we have to be okay with that. Because actually, we're not God. 
God understands everything. We won't necessarily understand everything about this world or about God himself, but we can do our best. And you might find many people have tried to explain the Trinity before, and people will find different ways helpful for them. I've heard people say like water and the different states of water, or even a Mars bar, kind of having chocolate, nougat, and caramel as the like three in one. <laughs> That's a delicious version. What I, what, my favorite personal version is, um, could you turn the keyboard on? I'm not going to play anything nice. Um, <laughs> if, so this is a, a three chord note. So if I were to play C, that's one note, right? And if I play E, that's also one, and G, okay, they're all different notes, but if I play them together, that's one sound that we hear, even though it's three different notes. Oh, it's quite nice. <laughs> and so that I found that a really helpful way of kind of thinking about the God, God as three persons, but as one God, one essence. Um, so you might find something that, uh, for yourself that's more helpful for you. Um, and, and you can look into that more as well. But in a few weeks' time, we're going to be asking some questions about Jesus, about who Jesus is, and then we're going to be going on to the Holy Spirit as well later on. All that's to say is that Jesus is God. Okay, there's no hierarchy in the Trinity. Uh, they are one essence. And the only difference with Jesus is that in his incarnation here on earth, he was fully human as well as fully God. 100% human, 100% God, not 50-50. And this is what separates the Christian faith from other monotheistic religions like Islam or Judaism. Monotheism is uh, people who believe in one God. And we can come on to that more when we explore the importance of Jesus as our Savior in later weeks. But as we read through the Gospels and take in the four historical accounts of who Jesus was as he walked here on earth, we can start to piece together a glimpse of who God is through Jesus. In John 14, 6 to 9, Jesus says these words. Jesus said to them, to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus believed in God. Jesus prayed to God, his Father. And Jesus lived a perfect life without sin, a life of servanthood and sacrifice and love. And we're encouraged to, to look to him, to how we should live our own lives as well. And so if you're wanting to make a start with somewhere in the Bible to find out more about who this Jesus is, then start in the Gospels. Uh, in fact, I'd recommend starting in the book of Mark. It's the shortest Gospel. It's only 16 chapters, chapters so that's a brilliant start if that's where you'd want to, to read into. Even today, actually. If you've not read the whole book of Mark, that's my challenge to you. Read those 16 chapters today and see what you find out about Jesus. How we can encounter God through who Jesus was. Okay, so we've had creation, we've had Jesus. My last point today is I believe that we can encounter God through one another, through every, every individual, every human being, you and me. Looking back at the opening chapter of the Bible, it says in Genesis, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And many have tried to understand what that means, the image of God. And there are differences of opinions, but what's clear is that this places a value on humanity. And for me, there are four aspects of humanity where we can glimpse who God is. Our creativity, 
our stewardship, our sense of justice, and our desire for relationships. Let's start with creativity. If there is a creator God who created the entire universe, he's going to be pretty creative. All it takes is to look at zebras. I mean, that's creative. Dragon fruit. So who came up with that? Like, look at the array of human hair and the difference that we see. That's so creative. God is a creative God. The theologian Lucy Pepiat points to this in her book when she talks about the image of God, stating that the idea of creativity as a major part of the image of God is seen in humans because humans are constantly inventing and creating. And I love this quote. In fact, I love this whole book by Erwin Raphael McManus. It says this. From a purely anthropological perspective, there's a definition of anthropology in case you're curious. From a purely anthropological perspective, the ability to translate imagination into reality is a uniquely human attribute. Beavers build dams, and bees build hives, and ants build colonies. But humans are creatures not of simple instinct, but of divine imagination. Every species builds, but humans create. I love that. And so that's the first aspect within other people, where we can see creativity in each other, and in that we catch a glimpse of who God is as the creator, creative God. Number two, stewardship. As a sovereign being over and through everything, God cares for us and for his creation, and we can see that in our ability to nurture the earth and care for the earth, that's a reflection of God's greater ability to nurture and care for the whole universe. The elevation of status that we carry due to being made in God's image gives us an added responsibility. Responsibility to rule over the earth around us with love and kindness and good stewardship. And of course, people abuse this power and it leads to horrible consequences like poverty and climate change, etc. But when the responsibility is carried out properly as it was intended, the earth can thrive. So all you wonderful gardeners and environmental activists, you are demonstrating an aspect of God's character. And it's very helpful. Number three, justice, sense of justice. Many intellectuals would say that our justice systems and human rights come from the Christian ethic of love. And we don't just see that on our grander kind of systematic scale. We see that in individuals because Jesus treated everyone he encountered with love and fairness. Therefore, followers of Jesus will try and do the same in every interaction that they have. It's, we see it in the way that, they have, that we have empathy for others who are suffering where people take action and try to improve the quality of life for other people. We see it today in raising financial aid for Pakistan. If there is no God and nothing beyond this life, why should we care? We care because these are people's lives, people who are made in the image of God. God cares, so we care. We even see it a little bit in verse 53 of the passage when Mary was singing out in Luke 1. She said, he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. This is a God of justice, a God of fairness, a balance, a God of equity. So in the way that we carry a sense of justice and act upon that, we are reflecting the character of God. Final one now, point number four, relationship. We love Humans love. 
We form relationships and connections, and we desire intimacy and build trust and dependency. And God desires relationships with us too, because he's a relational being. We love because he first loved us, it says in John 1, or 1 John even 4, 19. Carrie and Locke talked about the importance of having friends and family around them and during one of their most, or the toughest time of their life. And when we don't feel the tangible embrace of God holding us, he sends people to comfort us. God so loved the world. God so loved each and every one of us. So that was just a really quick run through of four ways that we can kind of see God in other people around us. Creativity, stewardship, sense of justice, and desire for relationship. As I wrap this up, I don't really just want to speak to our heads or just for our head knowledge. Because for me, the real impact comes when you know God in your heart. When you have a personal relationship with God. I'm not a scientist. I'm not an expert. And I know that there are many people, in fact, probably many people in this room who are much smarter and more educated than I am. But I do know God. And personally, life doesn't make sense without God for me. I have no purpose if there is no God. God is my source of hope. In the most difficult times of my life, when I had no one else, I knew that I had God. And he was enough. He carried me. And when close friends have had horrendous struggles or even lost their lives here on earth, I've asked God, why? Sometimes without a clear answer. But I still felt God's comfort and provision through those hard times. How he can take really bad situations that can seem really dark and turn them into something good. Only God can do that. And I know that he has done this in the past. I know that he's doing it now in my life and in others' lives as well. And I know that he's going to continue to do that for generation to come. In the same way that Mary knew when she sang out her song of praise to God. God is how I know what love truly is. God is love. And for me, God is real. And if I truly love you all as my friends and family here today, which I, I, I hope to, then I just want to tell you about this wonderful relationship with God and how it can change your life. It certainly doesn't mean that I have all the answers, because I don't. But it does mean that I can put my trust in something bigger than myself and bigger than just this world. So wherever you feel that you are in your relationship with him, he is present. Do we need to make him a priority again? Do we need reminding that he is our first love, our number one? Or maybe you want to open yourself up today to that relationship with him if you don't know that yourself.